We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film released in the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Oh Heavenly Dog on July 11th, 1980. It was written by Rod Browning and Joe Camp, directed by Joe Camp, and released by 20th Century Fox. Chevy Chase told TCM host Robert Osborne that he has never seen the film, and considers it his worst. I don't know how you can how both of those can be true. If you've never seen it, you don't know for sure, right? Yeah. Well, and there's one thing that I could say about this movie that it was far better than a talking dog movie, you know, has any right to be. That is mm. true. Um, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing that whenever he said this to Robert Osborne was on the last day of the 1980s, <laughs> because that's when he was done making his good stuff. Oh, what? I mean, I like Vegas oh, Vacation. Oh, okay. Like, you mean the 1980, like... 1980... December, December 31st, 1989. 19- they were at a New Year's Eve party, and he was like, you know what I think my worst movie is? <laughs> the worst movie I made in the 80s is the first movie I made in the 80s. Got it. Well, if he's never seen it, I mean, I based on just the facts alone, where he does voiceover for a talking dog who's trying to solve a murder, I'd say, yeah, that would be my worst movie. But then you watch it, and you're like, okay, you know what? It's all right. Okay. Interesting. Um, (laughs) um, It was intended to be shot in England, but the required quarantine period for the dog would have interrupted production. So all the England stuff was shot in Canada and a tiny Paris trunk was shot in France because there was no such quarantine there. Come on, guys. Quarantine's not that bad. Yeah. (laughs) And there are some shots in England with a dog that won a contest because it looked enough like the dog in the movie that they could shoot stuff on location with it. I suppose. This dog is the most incredibly well-trained dog I've ever seen. It does some neat stuff. And then it does some stuff that I think I I see what they're doing. I'm going to pull back the curtain on a few tricks here. (gasps) Um, It's all peanut butter. All peanut butter. (laughs) He he dialed that phone with the power of peanut butter. (laughs) It's peanut butter all the way down. Chevy said that the script for the ADR stuff changed completely from before they shot to after they shot, which makes sense because obviously you're going to write jokes around what you've got footage of with the dog but and what um, difference would that make well he already didn't like the script beforehand and then it got way dumber and then he was just really mad that he was still in the movie and that he'd already shot his scenes just read the damn lines yeah benji the dog is a fictional character developed by joe camp starting in 1974 benji starred in six feature films this is the third theatrical feature in the series and the second to technically star ben jean the daughter of benji it was preceded by Benji, For the Love of Benji, starring Benjean, and then this. And then it was followed seven years later by Benji the Hunted in 87. And then 17 years later by Benji Off the Leash in 04. And then 11 years after that, Blumhouse did a Netflix Benji movie. The Netflix is the only one that's not directed by Joe Camp, but it was directed by his son, Brandon Camp. Okay, wait. Hold on. Let's back it up a second. Uh-huh. So, obviously, there's multiple dogs throughout this thing correct like you said but ben jean is in the second third and fourth movie 
Okay, so this wasn't even the original Benji dog in right. this movie. Okay, but Benji as a fictional character, like you, like the dog's actual name was Benji, right? No. Oh. Okay. Benji was the character. Benji was a character in the in the movies, but like, this isn't a Benji movie. It is a Benji movie. It says starring Benji. Well, yeah, but that's. It doesn't have Benji in the title. But it's as much a Benji movie as any of the other Benji movies. I guess. I haven't seen any of the other Benji movies. Oh, really? Uh, that's surprising. Is it? A little bit. <laughs> the, the first it's, one. They're just like Herbie movies, but with more fur. Like. Yeah. <laughs> with 30% more fur. Depends on the Herbie fur. movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm most familiar with the first Benji movie, which is actually kind of disturbing. It's about a pair of kidnapped kids. And Benji knows where they are. And it's about him trying to communicate to these people that he okay. knows where they are. It's just Lassie, but they couldn't afford a pretty dog. Oh, so Benji's cute. Sure. <laughs> Benji also had cameos in Homps, a slapstick Western about introducing camels to the Wild West. I'm sorry, can you spell that? H-A-W-M-P-S. <laughs> and the Double MacGuffin about a group of university students foiling an assassination attempt. Uh, those are cameos by Benji. The first dog to play Benji was actually named Higgins, which gets a reference as the name of a supporting character in this film. Benjean was reportedly terrified of Omar Sharif's intensity on set, and as a result, the two never interacted directly. Whenever they appear to the arms, we see our director Joe Camps wearing Sharif's coat. Hmm. Because the dog was freaked out, and Omar Sharif was apparently very upset about it, <laughs> that the dog didn't like him. Okay, but I'm actually bothered by the fact that they said it was starring Benji when the dog that was in this movie wasn't Benji, and that Benji isn't even Benji. Well, it's just like starring Herbie. Yeah, I just don't think I'd put that in the credits. Yeah, but they did. <laughs> Thunder crashes over a shot of Big Ben, and the bass line of Wings' song, Arrow Through Me, kicks up. I like this song. I like this song yeah, a lot. he does. I can attest to the fact that he's been singing it ever since we watched this movie. <laughs> we see a man carrying a red umbrella and a sea of black umbrellas. I assumed very quickly that this was Chevy Chase because he's about a foot taller than everyone else. Right. Because Chevy Chase is like 6'5". And I'm pretty sure he's like just legitimately walking through traffic in London. Yeah. I don't feel like this is a closed set with like professional drivers. <laughs> I think he's, just, he's just walking across the street. I wouldn't put it past him. He seems to have developed a cold on his way to the taxi and uh, he gets his umbrella stuck in a tree as he's trying to get into it, but he's stuck long enough for a girl to intercept his ride, and so he crosses the street in front of them as revenge. And then he tries to get into a second cab, and the driver gets out and yanks him out into traffic, pointing to the sign on the roof as if it were turned off. And when Benjamin here points out that it is actually on, the driver slaps it, and it just automatically turns off. He runs back. As if, and again, as if that that's his fault, as yeah. Chevy Chase's fault. Yeah. Because it's just like, you know, what are you doing? See, it's now it's off. It, it, it it's really clearly this me. guy's bad. Yeah. Benjamin runs behind a double-decker bus that pulls away, revealing it has left him behind, a gag we saw earlier this year in Baltimore Bullet. Suddenly, a friend, Freddie, played by Laugh-In's Alan Sues, is there to offer Benjamin a ride. His voice sounds enough like Paul Lind that Lind evidently hated being mistaken for this guy. Mm. Benjamin opens Freddy's sunroof to stick his umbrella out because it won't collapse. And he says, Benjamin, it's raining. You must have noticed you're all pruning. After they pull away, we get a quick gay joke with Benjamin letting Freddy know that he has mistakenly grabbed something else in place of the gear shift. We move into another full-length song as Freddy skids over curbs and dangerously between cars. Freddy drops him off. 
he offers to drive him closer to the office, but Benjamin insists that the angel of death is after him, and he doesn't want to risk driving any further with this guy, which it turns out was a good decision. I guess. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really make a huge difference in the long run. But as he's getting out of the car, he says, Wait a minute. You're not driving with an amateur, Benjamin. I'm a professional racer, for God's sake. And then he drops back through his sunroof into the car and drives away. Benjamin makes a completely useless joke about selling shares of Freddy's life insurance premiums when uh, Jackie comes rushing down the sidewalk carrying a box and the two collide. He catches the box that she was running with and she lands on his umbrella, officially killing it. And they stare at each other captivated for a moment and Freddy leans out of his car and goes, Anybody hurt? I guess not. And then ducks back into his car and drives away. He eventually helps her up after uncomfortably long and they flirt a bit. He asks how he can get in touch with her before they part ways, and she mentions, oh, well, I'm going to be in Paris tonight, but maybe later. And then she gives a stranger her full name and place of work, but not her phone number, and instructs him to call her Friday. So I guess he could call information for that place of business? Well, he would just call the, the paper and say, can I get her desk? Or Yeah. And he could leave a message there. Possibly. A third song kicks in, and it's, again, not stock music nonsense, so this was probably an expensive soundtrack. Uh, Benjamin heads up to his office, and the sign on the door reads, Browning and Shackleton, Private Investigators. Inside, his secretary Margaret is watering plants and hurriedly unbuttons his wet coat. She gives him notes on all the calls that he missed over the course of the day, and he hands her the busted umbrella. She asks if he wants it fixed again, and he says, Nah, take it out back and shoot it. Would you actually fix an umbrella? So, like, this is It seems like she's done that before. before, Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was like a lucky umbrella. I don't don't even know where you would take an umbrella to get it fixed. Well, perhaps in England, that, that is a trade. <laughs> yeah. This is true. Uh, the first song starts up again, the one I liked a lot. It's the best one anyway, so that's that's fine with me. Browning sits in his chair and he sucks down some Formula 44, which I'm guessing is some kind of British cough syrup. Maybe it was here too, I just didn't recognize it. He rolls over to the window of his office to light up a cigar as a customer enters. Browning takes his temperature while smoking the cigar when uh, suddenly the customer speaks to him. Uh, he introduces himself as Quimby Charles, and he says he's here to buy protection for someone. When Browning explains that he doesn't do protection, Quimby says that he insisted on Mr. Browning and throws a big stack of money at him. Money Quimby seems to know that Browning needs to keep his business from failing. This should have been the first red flag if he's only asking you because you are desperate and apparently not good enough to keep your business running. I, I really am curious of how he came to select this person is it something that's never never really brought up again but even when he's like oh you're familiar with my work like you you know that i'm good at my job and he's like no i have no idea if you're good at your job but i know you need this money desperately and it's like is that really how you pick who you're gonna mm-hmm. hire to protect someone that seems like a weird choice see like in fletch a similar situation happens yes i made that note too yeah and and it makes sense in that context right because he's playing a person who is playing a person who's down on his luck and living on the streets and talking to horrible people. Yeah. In this, he's got his own business and things, I would imagine, unless he, this guy is using his station to get information, but then, I don't know, like this this whole plot gets kind of a little convoluted. Yeah, they mix it up a bit. Um, Browning asks if Quimby's involved in organized crime and he says that he's in parliament and then Browning says, eh, six of one. Browning heads to the apartment of the woman that he's been hired to protect. Moments late, it would appear. 
The door was open, and he enters, slowly calling out to her, and comes face to crotch with a big silver statue of a man. From the first angle, it looks like he's staring down the statue's half-erect penis, but in the wide shot we see that what we were looking at before was a finger on the left hand. But I'm pretty sure he is looking at the crotch. Yeah. He steps into the kitchen and finds Patricia, the woman he's been hired to protect, dead on the floor, and very suddenly he is also killed. Stabbed in the back with a shiny, fresh blade, obviously a different one that was just used to kill the woman. A gloved hand yanks the necklace off the girl, and we dip to white, and Browning wakes up in Higgins' office in Purgatory, I guess? I don't know what you would call this place. He informs Browning of his death, and he puts him through basically an exit interview. Browning also learns that he's been deemed by the computer as marginal material, so that means that he has to prove himself before he can go to heaven or hell. This is like defending your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's very much like I'm that. not exactly sure why they send him on this task, though, to prove himself. Like, you would think it would be do a good deed. And this is really just kind of clearing his own name? Not no, it wasn't to clear his name. It was, it was to clear the name of Quimby, who's been oh, charged Oh, the guy that the was murder. arrested yeah. In, in his... Yeah. Okay. But it's not like that. that was, this was his fault. No, I don't think so either. But I think it's just, it's something good that he can do... Mm to make up for maybe bad things that he did in his life that we didn't see. Uh, Higgins whips out a lightsaber and claims they had them before Star Wars. He uses it to gesture towards the marginal material chart that indicates he will have to prove his worth uh, to determine his final destination here. Why were there separate charts for male and female? Uh, Because 75% of women go to heaven, but only 70% of men go to heaven. If you looked at the percentages (laughs) on the chart. Is that really what the chart said? Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But why was there a lightsaber? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure about that. He is assigned the task of returning to Earth to solve his own murder in exchange for going to heaven and avoiding damnation. Higgins shows him a newspaper article where Quimby Charles has been charged with the murder, but the man in the picture is not the guy who introduced himself as Quimby Charles. He finds out that he was set up by someone, and he curses the man aloud, and Higgins is not a fan of that talk. He gets very uppity when people use language in his office because browning is a returnable he has to go to a department that will find him a new body to go back into and he says why can't i go back in my own body and he says it has a hole in it. <laughs> higgins sends him to the department where a young woman is pointed into the line behind him he asks her how she died and after refusing at first to go into it she admits my vacuum cleaner i'm not sure how she qualifies as a returnable unless a different vacuum cleaner was blamed for her murder See, my first question at this scene was, why wouldn't he be allowed to talk to Patricia, who should also just be recently deceased? That's true. I was like, is this he at least get to ask her what she saw or what she might, who who she was? That's a good point. I felt like he's kind of being put into this a little bit blind when that information should have been available to him. Or maybe she's not there because she went straight to heaven. Heaven? What? She was dating a lot of people at the same time. She's a woman, though. (laughs) Yeah, but one in four don't make it. At the front of the line, Browning is manhandled by a German woman with Leia hair buns. Uh, she starts listing animal options, including a dog, a specific dog that will die in 45 seconds. And she's clearly annoyed that Higgins has suggested an immediate reincarnation for this person. 
Browning takes advantage of their shared hatred for Higgins. Um, <laughs> I did like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he calls him a bastard, and she's very turned on by this. Extremely. <laughs> and uh, and more than a minute later, she finally surrenders him to the body of Benji, who should have died 15 seconds ago. He runs past the truck as it slams on its brakes in an alley. First of all, doesn't seem like the dog was going to die since the car came to a complete stop. Mm-hmm. But secondly... Uh, keeping in mind i'm not a student of religion by any means i always thought reincarnation took place at the birth of the second vessel it doesn't make much sense that you would dump someone into a full-grown dog who didn't actually end up dying yeah i mean if he if he weren't a lower grade returnable would they have just being john malkovich him into a an unsuspecting person um, be like, al- get out it, it also seems like like why does it why is it that the creature has to be almost killed is, is the is the implication that you're benji, not wasting any of benji's life because yeah. we prevented his death or or is it that benji's soul is was like due to die so they took him it, benji's it soul was a, out it was a vacated vessel that was yeah. available yeah so he, what he died of like terror Shock. yeah as this truck was approaching <laughs> terrier terrier oh. no nope <laughs> anyway tune in next week uh no from his new perspective in the body of a dog, Browning observes that everything looks much bigger from down here, and then he checks his crotch and jokes. Well, <laughs> not everything. Implying either that Chevy Chase has a larger dick than a dog, or that he didn't realize that this is a female dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it is a female dog. Yeah, yeah I, I was I, I was also curious <laughs> as to what this joke meant. I also was infuriated by the echoey, angelic voice like distortion that they use for him as the dog yeah it's like just have it speak like look who's talking and it does in some scenes some scenes it just sounds like he's in the room with everyone yeah but whenever it's exteriors it seems like it's very echoey browning who i will start calling benji now since he's a dog fair enough uh realizes he's in paris when he sees the eiffel tower conveniently the woman he crashed into on the sidewalk is here too and he hitches a ride back to london in her convertible but he's not actually benji in this movie the dog's name is bj his name is Benjamin. Nobody uses the word Benji in this movie. Yeah, they, yes, they, they do. do. They do. Do they? Yeah. yeah. It's the last line of the movie. <laughs> okay. Once at the end of the movie, they call him Benji. Yeah. You're I welcome. Proceed. <laughs> this woman, Jackie, is arguing with her publisher, Bernie. I think his name is Bernie. Bernie. Uh, about an assignment that she has been given or she chose. I'm not sure. Evidently, someone was murdered mere hours ago, and Jackie has already decided to write a novel about it. <laughs> Uh, she notices the dog in her car, but steals it despite an obvious collar. Well, um, I wanted to bring this up because I was also wondering about the timeline, but yeah. since the newspaper already had come out that Quimby Charles is in jail, uh, I'm assuming. I thought that, that was just cause it was the next morning. Uh, I, I got the, you know, I got the impression that he, that the trial was over. I think some time has passed. Here. Yeah. I think he's in jail. I don't think he's been charged. No. Like, I, I think when she went to visit him, it was in jail, not at prison. Well, either way, I think more than a few hours has passed. Yeah. Not, a, if, not enough to be way, like, yes, I should write a book about this. I think it's this. the next day, though. <laughs> and I also don't know what drew her to the story because not knowing all of the facts, all you have is a second-rate PI and a woman who is an interior decorator was killed. Mm-hmm. And they're they're pinning it on this guy. We don't They don't really make it clear how they decided that this guy was responsible even. Well, I mean, people do write books and stories and teleplays and stuff like that based on newspaper articles. And so. just random murders. That's true. 
As they reach London, Jackie makes a series of wrong turns based on Benji's desired destination, and he decides to ditch her. So we're not gonna we're not gonna mention that she drove from Paris to London. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> I guess this is before the channel. <laughs> I, I well, there's probably well, ferries and, and, or something. There, there was. There, there are. There, there were ferries. It would have been nice to have seen a a shot of one, yeah. rather than just them on the road and then suddenly they're in downtown London from Paris. I was like, yeah. what? How did we get here? Yeah, we just see them driving down like country roads, and that's it. Is it that because that's actually a joke in Young Frankenstein where he takes the train to Transylvania? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like that's the joke is you can't do that <laughs> benji ditches her he jumps out of the car and she notices the dog leaving but makes no effort to retrieve the dog that she just smuggled into a country with a six-month quarantine for dogs he tries to catch a bus and is tossed off of it and then he tries to get into carlton court the building where he was murdered and the doorman throws the dog down a set of concrete stairs yeah. oh this bothered me so much this is one of two scenes that bother me a lot in this movie but the dog seems very confused about it at the bottom. The dog is like, why did that just happen? And it like takes a second to like reorient and get back into the scene because it's so confused about why it just got thrown downstairs. That's how you get a dog to do a double take, I guess. I guess. He walks around the back and finds a stairwell. Instinctively, he starts barking at a nearby cat before he recognizes it as fellow returnable, Freddy. It's Freddy, his friend from the car. The Lord works in mysterious ways. He took a shortcut down a one-way alley six blocks after he dropped Browning off at his office and was hit by a massive truck and died. Freddy the cat tells Benji which window he's looking for. I'm not sure how Freddy knows any of the details of this case, but this is the last thing he does that's relevant to the film in any way. I don't even understand why this character is in the movie at all. I don't either. Yeah. And Uh, and why later on in the movie is there another different cat? character for no reason <laughs> yeah uh i was like why why couldn't this cat just be freddy again yeah. the, the, it makes no sense to introduce another character at this point yeah um as he leaves the plot entirely he says if you see higgins tell him never mind about sending the rats i tried one of them and i just don't like them <laughs> like his delivery is just really fun entering the room benji knocks a small statue to the floor and it shatters scaring a person inside into hiding in the closet Inside the room, there are two overlapping silhouettes on the floor in tape where Browning and Patricia were murdered. Benji wanders around looking at art for like five minutes, way too long. Benji digs through photos at a desk and uh, notices a small desk calendar and that the date of the murders was torn out, which I'm sure the cops also noticed. There's no way they wouldn't have seen that. He tries to do a rubbing on the next page, but he gets nothing. Or I guess the previous page? No, it would be the next page. The next page. But it seems that she writes everything in Sharpie. Yeah. And so it wouldn't have come through anyway. And also, he doesn't have hands, so it's trickier to get a solid rubbing out of it. That's what he said. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. He notices a phone number on the day before, and he dials it on a rotary phone with a pencil in his mouth. This is cited by a lot of people as the most impressive thing that the dog does in this movie. But the dog is i'm pretty sure just using like a three foot long pencil and they just got him to hold it in its mouth while someone else controlled the pencil in the rotary phone Mm -hmm. and was moving the dog's head around but the number connects to the needham gallery and benji hangs up and notices that the closet door is starting to open when suddenly jackie and the building owner enter the apartment well we should mention that the fake quimby chambers is in this charles quimby charles quimby charles sorry uh, is in this scene. Yeah, like he's he, the one hiding. He's the one in the hiding closet. He's peeking out. We we see him full 
fully that that it is him yeah because he's and, watching and, in disbelief yeah he's watching a dog. a dog use a rotary phone so evidently jackie introduced herself to the building owner as a novelist and was invited to inspect an active crime scene uh, she's flabbergasted to find benji in the room without claiming ownership of the dog she admits that she found it in paris this morning and drove it all the way here but for some reason it's still not her dog and she's only fairly convinced that it's not patricia's it's like no 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 you found this dog in another country today yeah it's not patricia's dog it doesn't make any sense just because it's here now it's here because you brought it here but she also has this weird like moment where she's making direct eye contact with the dog like she suspects this dog is somehow involved yeah and she's like i wish you could talk the building owner moves to call animal control on benji and so i'm sorry i i when she says this to him i was like well you can dial a phone and you can do a rubbing why can't you just write stuff down (laughs) yeah that's true like i got really frustrated or or make barks in prime numbers or something like that you you yeah i'm sure that would have come across right away they're like that's a seven for sure i don't know what that means (laughs) it was just like you can communicate you're not like you're choosing not to yeah it's not like you said mentioned being john malkovich before where you don't have control right at a certain point uh, and you're just watching behind the veil. Until someone uh, takes a picture of you as Get Out would have it. Yeah. And then you escape for a second. Well, all I do know is that after Richard dies, I am going to watch out for animals, you know, barking prime phones. numbers. <laughs> prime numbers. <laughs> That's incredible. Where did this dog find a rotary phone? <laughs> the building owner moves to call animal control on Benji when Benji is suddenly gone. Benji is headed back to his own office which is being emptied into the hall by two movers, one being the director, Joe Camp, and the other being producer uh, somebody. Somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) I forget his name. Something wit, I think. Jackie comes to the door and asks for Mr. Shackleton because she believes Mr. Browning to be dead and Mr. Shackleton must be the, the leftover investigator. But it turns out that Margaret explains that she's Mr. Shackleton because Browning thought that two names on the door would look more professional. So there is no other investigator here. Right. Um, and we have to be sexist and assume that it was a mister the whole time. Right. Jackie admits to Margaret that she has decided to write a book about Mr. Browning's murder a maximum of 12 hours ago. And Jackie takes a photo of Mr. Browning directly out of Margaret's hands and realizes, oh, my God, this is the guy that I bumped into yesterday. Margaret says it's impossible that they knew each other because she keeps tabs on all of his lady friends in case she needs to reach him at their apartments. And Jackie deduces that that must have been the day he died that they met, which is also known as yesterday. Um, <laughs> I don't think it was. I think time has passed. I, I, I feel also that time has passed. <laughs> they make it pretty clear that time doesn't pass differently in the afterlife when she says a dog's going to get hit by a truck in 45 seconds. But dog seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that one. <laughs> Margaret leads Jackie into the office where Benji is sitting at Browning's desk holding the cap to the Formula 44 bottle in his mouth. Margaret asks if it's Jackie's dog, and again she refuses to commit to the pet she stole. <laughs> back at Jackie's place. When she's done at Browning's office, she looks back to the Benji dog and says, I'm going back to my place. You know where that is, right? And then she leaves, but then we cut to the apartment. She says where what building she's in. Yeah, but... Yeah. But then we cut to the apartment and and he's there as Benji. Yeah. And she's feeding him. It's like, did you bring him or did he no, arrive on he his own? He was there own? on his own for sure. She's making a gross meal for him. And then she moves to strip down for a bath. 
and Benji follows her into the bathroom when he realizes that she's naked and jumps in the bath with her. Next, Jackie, with Benji in tow, meets with the man accused of the murders, the real Quimby Charles. For no reason, she brings this dog into the jail. Yeah, it it's purely for plot purposes. Yeah, because Charles even specifically says there's a rule here that forbids dogs from coming into the jail. <laughs> and she's like, How'd you manage that? Dogs are not allowed. Seems they had an unfortunate experience with one that liked to eat prison officers. I have special permission. That's why we have so much company. Yeah, I know. That's why there's extra people in the room. It's like, what does that mean? The dogs aren't allowed here. You didn't have to make that rule. Yeah. It's purely so that Benji can get this information. Yeah. She tells Mr. Charles that she hoped he would recognize the dog because she has reason to believe it may have belonged to Patricia. No, she doesn't. She (laughs) stole this dog in another country. Why would she think it lives here? Charles announces that a condition of his interview with her is that any information she uncovers in the course of her own investigation will be shared with his legal counsel because he thinks that she'll be able to prove his innocence. Which I think is fair. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a fair deal. She, she acts seems, very offended by yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, no, that's that's perfectly all right. Yeah. Like, if you found out that he was innocent, why would you be like, no? Gotta wait, gotta, gotta save it for those, like, fall release. Yeah. Um, you're not gonna ruin my paperback sales. We learned from a recording of the interview playing later that this man was in line for the prime minister position at one point, but those hopes are likely dashed now that he's in prison for life. She's furious that this guy didn't kill his girlfriend and might have <laughs> cost her a novel that she has spent most of a day on. She <laughs> she parks outside Needham Gallery and locks Benji in the car. So the fact that he found out about the gallery doesn't matter because somehow Jackie also found out about it. Well, I guess he's just putting it together that this is... This is the place. This is the place. Inside, there's lots of statues like the one of a silver man in Patricia's home. Uh, At the gallery, the host tells Jackie that Patricia bought the artist's last pair of works, a statue of Adam and Eve. They are interrupted by Lady Chalmers. Apparently, Patricia was working decorating Lady Chalmers' flat when she was murdered. The host leaves them to speak with each other. He tries to find the artist to speak with because the artist just got there. Lady Chalmers points out the Octavia sisters. Do you know about the Octavia sisters? Of course you do. Everybody knows the Octavia sisters. They're not relevant to the plot. Not at all. <laughs> Neither is the next person she introduces who came with two men. But then suddenly Jackie hears a dog sneezing under a table and realizes Benji has snuck in to get information. So she takes him back to the car and this time ties him to the steering wheel before she relocks it. The artist fills a pair of champagne glasses from a booby champagne dispenser. He's sad about Patricia's disappearance because she always bought his bad art. He invites Jackie to a late candlelit snack at his place, and she counters with, Let's say an early floodlit dinner at mine. (laughs) They part, and Chalmers is shocked to see Alastair Beckett enter the gallery. Evidently, he is likely to fill the prime minister position that Quimby Charles was up for. Uh, She introduces Beckett to Jackie and mentions that the two of them were introduced by a mutual friend who met him in Switzerland. Swooshing down the hills? Is that the proper word? Swooshing? Beckett is particularly interested to learn that she's writing a book about Patricia and Quimby. Benji chews off his leash and sneaks back into the gallery. He finds Jackie chatting with Malcolm, Omar Sharif's character, and when Malcolm sees him, he looks completely terrified, as if the dog is acting independently of any human, which I guess is because he saw him dialing on the phone. And and although Chevy Chase, uh, as Browning, as Benji, says 
when that when it, when he notices like Omar Sharif looking at him, he says, "You've never seen me in this in this suit before." Yeah, he he has no moment of revelation of like that's the guy who paid me. Yeah, like he he's just taking everything matter of fact, and he even goes so far to say, "Who is this guy?" It's like, yeah, he's the guy who framed you. Yeah, how do you not know this already? <laughs> it's so infuriating. Again, she denies it's her dog, and Malcolm leaves abruptly. Benji moves to follow him when he leaves, but is locked into the gallery when Malcolm closes the door on his way out. Benji pees on some art to try and get thrown out on purpose. After some chasing around with a bigger dog, Benji catches up with Malcolm, who grabs him and starts manhandling the dog against the sidewalk, somehow expecting to find important clues in his mouth. I don't know what he's doing to this dog. An older woman with an umbrella interrupts Malcolm's assault, and the big dog comes back to chase Benji down an alleyway. Jackie heads back to Carlton Court, she demands access to the crime scene which has been understandably sealed jackie asks her publisher to help her get access but he just published a book about scotland yard's greatest blunders so he thinks they're probably not rushing to do him any favors the big dog finds benji in a trash can benji befriends the dog and heads back to jackie's place where a date with the artist is underway when jackie leaves the room for a moment the artist yells at the dog repeatedly to get out of the way and uh, the artist tells Jackie that Patricia was known to play the field and also that she was missing for a while before she died, evidently somewhere in Switzerland. He repeatedly tries to grope at Jackie on their date, but Benji is constantly in the way. We cut to Jackie listening to the tape recording of her conversation with Beckett. Uh, she's in the tub again with Benji. She heads off to That's Beckett's... That's so gross. What? Being in the tub with the dog. Maybe. I'm just like, you're... <laughs> First of all, wet dogs are gross. Yes. Second of all, you're naked in a tub with an animal. That's weird. And also, you, we know that Benji had just been in a garbage can. Well, I think that's why he's in the bath. It's yeah, just... but then you wouldn't bathe in that garbage can juice water. Don't kick dog, shame me. Dog trash water. <laughs> I don't need this. She heads to Beckett's office where a secretary tries to brush her off before Beckett sees her and invites her in. In his actual office, Benji notices the artist Montanero's art is all over the place, specifically a silver woman holding an apple, and he also notices that straight across from his desk is a painting of the Matterhorn. Jackie asks if Beckett can help her access Patricia's client list in her flat, and he refers her to his assistant Malcolm. Here, Benji finally puts two and two together. Beckett and Patricia were both in Switzerland, and each has a half of Montanero's Adam and Eve sculpture pair. He finally realizes that Malcolm, Malcolm Bart is the guy's full name, hired him as a PI so they could frame him as a motive for the murder. The plot is actually reminiscent of Chase's later film Fletch, in which he's also hired as an investigator by someone pretending to need one thing but actually needing his corpse. They agree to get her back in the apartment, but Benji assumes they will clear it out before then, because they're obviously trying to cover their tracks. For whatever reason, they don't expect the dog to break in tonight, though. On his way in, Benji hears Freddy complain about something in the alleyway. I'm guessing they felt like it was weird that he was irrelevant for the whole rest of the movie, so yeah. they added a quick ADR line here. In the room, Benji remembers that the closet door opened by itself, and he finally understands why Bart has been so weird, because he watched a dog make a phone call. <laughs> Bart enters and reads paperwork by lighter light. At first, I thought he was going to burn stuff, Yeah. but then I realized that he's just holding it as a light source, but I feel like a lighter is a bad choice for this. Benji is hiding by his legs under the desk, and Malcolm pockets a few pages and heads out. Higgins enters and turns on the lights, defeating the purpose of Malcolm not turning on the lights earlier. Yeah, but he's like a, I don't know what he is, an angel? 
Sure. If he's an yeah. angel. Maybe he's, you know. Maybe, maybe the lights aren't really on. It's not really happening. Yeah. But uh, for whatever reason, Benji is now browning again. He turns back into Chevy Chase when Higgins is around because it just makes conversation easier. Higgins informs him that the German woman at the returnable's office accidentally gave him to a limited returnable, which means that he will have to leave this body soon also. And if he doesn't leave, he will stay in the dog's body permanently until the dog dies, which I thought was the plan already, but apparently mm-hmm. that's the new threat. Jackie gets a call from Beckett. Apparently, Benji went to his office from Carlton Court, and he tells her she can pick up the dog from Malcolm Bart's office in the morning. So after he left this place with Higgins, he went to Beckett's office to get information. But it's like Beckett's office isn't just an apartment with a fire escape out the window. Like mm-hmm. you can't get into the building. You can't go anywhere. Yeah, because it's. I'm assuming it's another. It's a he's government got office, parliamentary yeah. offices. Benji does find a note though on Bart's desk that reads Beckett's birthday, Rathbone Street and Wentworth Road. And uh, Bart enters in the morning and finds him at the desk just as Jackie's arriving to retrieve him. She also sees the note and assumes that it's Beckett's birthday and that they're doing some kind of party at that cross street. As she passes Beckett on the way out, he tells her that he made some progress with Scotland Yard and they can discuss it over lunch. And she says that she'll buy him a birthday drink. And he says, it's not my birthday. It's nowhere near my birthday. My birthday's 3-3. Which is the first hint that that I got that this guy's not in on it because he Mm -hmm. wouldn't have just given her that information if he thought it was important to anything. Benji gets a ride in a fancy car from Hermione. Remember Hermione? Yeah. Remember the character Hermione? There was like an older lady with a fancy car that gives dogs rides all over the place? No. Who is this character? I don't know. She's just another returnable. He needs to get somewhere, and I guess it's further away than usual, so they just introduce a random returnable character who we've never met before. Well, do we even know that her name is Hermione? He, he says, says thanks, thank Hermione, you. when oh, he gets okay. out of the car. I was going to say, the only reason I realized it was returnable is because she has the same necklace as uh, as he yeah. and uh, Freddie. And I don't know if Hermione was like the vacuum girl. That's, that's what I was thinking, but we never. He- I don't recall her ever saying her name. Yeah. But either way, it's just very strange that they would put this in here when we could have just seen the dog walk up to and, a building and i don't understand the purpose of returnables i thought thought it meant you had to do some kind of mission right like some kind of quantum leap kind of thing so what's freddie doing and what's hermione doing i don't know uh hermione's giving dogs rides <laughs> that's true and freddie is eating but not liking rats um, <laughs> but i can't stop eating them. i can't stop <laughs> once you pop he realizes that at this intersection is a post office and he moves inside to find post office box 33. He climbs over the counter at the post office and tries to pull an envelope out of 33 from the inside because they're obviously locked on the outside. At the same time, most of the post office staff are leaving for lunch, leaving a deaf man in charge. A deaf man played by the same actor as the Higgins character. Which is... Point, I was like pointless. It, well, I thought I thought this was like part of Higgins' plan. Yeah, the joke is that he's there to facilitate this theft. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, they don't really make it clear that he's doing it on purpose. Benji gets the envelope just as Bart tries to pull it from the opposite side. Eventually, Bart's arm is completely through this booth. It's through the, the hole in the wall. And he's yanking on the dog. He's holding the dog off the ground by one arm. This yeah. bothered me so much. For like 30 seconds. It's Ugh. very uncomfortable to watch. You know, between this and the and the shot where they throw him down the stairs, I'm just... 
back then people abused animals in movies to get shots right. like that. But like, what kind of trainer who has this super valuable dog who could do mm. all this stuff we'll allows anybody this. to do this kind of thing to the dog? You could dislocate its shoulder. Not only that, but Joe Camp invented this character. You have to assume that he at least has an affinity for dogs. And that he would let people do this to the dog that he's already worked now, with on two now, more movies. Is there, is there a full shot of the dog being suspended? The dog is like bouncing up and down and yelping to like get away. Well, and it really bothers me because I know how films are made. You don't just do these things once. You yeah. shoot this ten times. And also when, when the arm eventually drops the dog, you see it like limping on the ground because it was being held up by one leg that's probably all strained and hurt now. The whole time he's holding the dog off the ground, he's yelling for the deaf employee to help him. And when he finally comes to the window, Bart shouts, Stop that animal! I said stop that animal! And he says, Stamps with animals? Yes, I believe we do. The doorman at Jackie's building drops Benji, envelope in mouth, into her apartment. And he opens it to find a necklace with a Matterhorn pendant on it. And then when he flips it over, it says Alp on the back. And he says, well, that's a little redundant. Why the hell would anyone write Alp on an Alp? And it's also very reminiscent of the font on their own, on his own necklace. Yeah, that's true. He deduces that Alp stands for Alistair Loves Patricia, even though we've already covered that they're in a relationship. But this is just physical proof of it. She can be seen in many pictures around Jackie's apartment wearing this necklace in photos. Even on the night that she was murdered, he remembers that she was wearing it when he fell on top of her. But it's missing from the police photos of the crime scene. So he puts together that Alistair was having an affair with Patricia, but she was a risk to his political career and was likely murdered to get her out of the way. He decides that he must interrupt Jackie's lunch date because if he does something in public, he's less likely to just get murdered because he's a dog. So it bothers me that he is going to now take this this pendant to Patricia, not Patricia, to Jackie. Um, Jackie at her lunch date and not bring anything else to sort of explain this. Cause he's not going to like bark this out in Morris code here as we've established. He doesn't communicate in any other way. Yeah. So how does he plan to like establish what she needs to know from this necklace that like you would just assume this is a random necklace that the dog has. Why would you think it's connected to the murder in any I way? I think he was actually counting on what happens, which is that Alistair will see it and freak out about it and think that she knows more than she does and maybe spill the beans on it. But obviously you have a picture of her wearing it and you have a picture of her not wearing it. Just bring those along with you. Yeah, that's true. Well, he doesn't have a picture of her not wearing it. Yeah, Yeah, he did. The the crime scene photos. Oh, the police photo. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. He also runs out of time because Bart breaks down the door. Right. But yeah, first he he goes to page the doorman to let him out and the doorman's like, "Uh, yes, Mrs. What's her name? Howard? Yes, Mrs. Howard? And he just barks once and the doorman goes, Ugh, I'll be right up. Like, <laughs> okay, dog, I'm going to come let you out. But 30 seconds later, Bart is opening the door and he's like, oh, that was fast. And it's like, you know that's someone coming to attack you. There's no way he got up here already. Bart opens the door and Benji just runs right past him down the hallway. Eventually, after a long chase sequence, Bart corners Benji in front of a shop and pulls a handgun yeah. and points it at this tiny dog. And Benji turns and runs between his legs or just barely around him across the street and bart just fires shots into a crowd of people like that what what movie was that where they were firing it oh that was night, night of the juggler night of the yeah. juggler yeah. when he's firing a shotgun across the street in public. but uh these are hitting like a keg that they're trying to offload from a truck and it's just spraying beer everywhere benji hits an alleyway with a dead end was this the part where he runs into uh the weavers moving a 
plate glass. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or That's, was that with the dog earlier? Well, it's somewhere in this chase. It's, it's in this chase. The, the thing that doesn't come into play at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's eventually. Like the setup for Wayne's World 2, where it's like all these people just in an alley setting up fruit and carrying plate glass windows. It's like. Is something going to happen with this window? What was the purpose of having a mover carry a playlist window across the it's screen? Great. But Benji comes to an alleyway with a dead end where Higgins is there and he's human again suddenly carrying this pendant in his mouth still. Suddenly another presumably returnable human, but not Freddy because he's gone for some reason. And uh, this character is dressed like Batman's penguin sans monocle, complete with a fish in his mouth. And he says, I was a pelican. What were you? And it's like, who are you? Why yeah. are you in this scene? There wasn't even a pelican in this alley before Higgins showed up. And why is he wearing a top hat? Why is no one else wearing... Chevy Chase just has his like, like angelic on. robe. Yeah. But Chevy Chase is like, Jesus Christ, like exasperated. And the pelican thinks that he means he actually was Jesus Christ. But this hasn't been a time-traveling process so far. Seems like time is continuing to move in one direction. You don't go back in time when you get reincarnated. And why would the pelican know who Jesus is? Yeah. Well, he he was he was reincarnated as a pelican. Oh, and then died again, and then no, re- I think he was a pelican. No, his returnable expired. Oh, oh, so okay, so this is Higgins shows up to right, to take right. back the returnables. Yeah. Right. Okay. Bart skids around the corner and comes face to face with Browning, the man he killed earlier this week, <laughs> possibly yesterday. Yeah, uh, <laughs> wearing a hospital gown in an alley. Um, <laughs> And he he asks if a little dog came through here, apparently seeing Browning, not Benji. So he actually is looking at a human, not at a dog. Browning explains that, you know what I did, but it couldn't have been a dog because you know what it did? It ran straight up this brick wall and it ran all the way up there and up and into the sky. And the camera is like tilting up as if to follow the imaginary dog from the story into the sky. I just like the feel of this. Like it's very like spooky and weird, (laughs) but uh, the whole time like, they're, they're cutting back and forth to Bart's reaction to this. Like, is he buying it? Is he freaked out about it? Is and he then, freaked out about seeing the man he just killed standing there? Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, I like that the way he finishes the story is he's like, you know what? That's It's impossible that that happened. Please don't tell people I said that. I'm going to sound like a crazy person because he wants to really sell. This is what happened, and I'm not a crazy person because mm-hmm. I'm recognizing that that sounds crazy. Bart then just wanders away, like, dazed and terrified that this ghost dog is coming after him. Chevy tells Higgins that he has surrendered to staying a dog for the remainder of its life. Benji and Bart chase each other some more. I think this is where they go past the the window movers. And then eventually they get to the patio where Jackie and Beckett are having lunch. Just as Jackie is insisting that she didn't know any of these people before she decided to write a book about them and they're still warm corpses, Benji pops up with the necklace at the edge of the table and Beckett turns dark very quickly. He's accusing her of being a liar and she's been lying this whole time. And then he go, moves into like a semi-confession where he speaks wistfully about his relationship with Patricia. And she is trying to put this together as quickly as she can and comes to the conclusion that he must have killed her. And so she makes that accusation, but then he denies it forcefully just as Bart gets to the table and says, no, I did it because you should be prime minister and I've worked 12 hard years to get you to that position and I'm, I wasn't going to let it go to waste over this woman. So I did this for you. And I kept that necklace as proof that I did it in case you ever needed proof of my loyalty. And uh, He's then, just crazy. Yeah, he's an insane he's person. literally just crazy. And he pulls a gun again on the dog because of these three people. Clearly the dog is behind all of it. And 
as he raises it to fire it at the dog, Jackie takes the bullet and dies here in the diner, which I was really not expecting this to happen. But so she's dead. (laughs) Benji walks along the Seine, playing the Thames alone, mourning her death. And uh, suddenly he hears a voice mocking the front page photo of murdered novelist. And he thinks it's her voice in his head. But then he realizes that she's a cat now, standing on top of the newspaper dispenser. We cut to a dog and a cat having sex in the river. No, that doesn't happen. (laughs) In the river. (laughs) In the river, just floating downstream. No, uh, they can't have sex. They're a dog and a cat. Is that the only point of a relationship? Yes. What, is she going to go have sex with Freddy now? (laughs) Well, I don't think he'd want that. (laughs) I don't like it. It's like, I'm not a fan of pussy. (laughs) And as they're walking away, she basically says, oh, yeah, you know, I figured you came down and you stayed a dog forever for me. It's the least I could do is return the favor. What so what should I call you? BJ, Benjamin, Benji? And he's like, oh, no, not Benji. I hate Benji. And then we. Well, he he says, I hate Benjamin. My friends used to call me Benji. Oh, okay. But she says, Um, you're not the Benji type. Yeah. And then we get our credits. Because he's not Benji. He was BJ this whole movie. He called him Benji the whole time. His name is not Benji. His friends call him Benji. No? Okay. Then I'm going to make an even more accurate case that the Benji in the movie Benji is not Benji. Do they call him Benji in the Benji movie? Doesn't matter. That's not his name. His name was Higgins. What? The dog's (laughs) name is Higgins. Oh, right. (laughs) I forgot about that fact. (laughs) (laughs) Director Joe Camp, literally only Benji stuff. All of it, except for the 2018 sequel. (laughs) Yeah, I was like... It's like, Joe Camp, I know that name. Why do I know that name? Oh, literally from all of the Just Benji. this. <laughs> the writer, Rod Browning, just gave his own name to the character in the movie. This was his first produced screenplay. He has a few TV movies after that. And then Watchtower in 2001 with Tom Berenger. Looks great. Mostly miscellaneous acting credits from the 70s and 80s on his page. Chevy Chase was Browning. Obviously, he started on SNL for one season and left to pursue movies like this at first. Uh, I think he blamed his SNL replacement, Bill Murray, for the the bad start he had in film. Despite them both being in the same film that we'll cover later this year? Yes. Well, that was the first one that didn't turn out poorly for him. Although, wait, when was Vacation? Was that 70s or 80s? 1983. Okay. Like we said, the two of them will appear again later this year in Caddyshack, but their clashes are legendary. I would say that Chase is best known as the patriarch of the Griswold family in the five vacation movies and fletch he's fletch in two movies or i guess one movie and then a sequel (laughs) and uh he's also an amigo he also stars in spies like us later this decade which features another paul mccartney song on the soundtrack ben jean is credited here as benji or ben jean and her next credit is her only non-Benji role in the Chuck Norris film An Eye for an Eye in 1981. Then we won't see her again until the next Benji movie in 1987. She also starred in the Benji TV series, which was called Benji, Zax, and the Alien Prince. Huh. Sounds great. Jane Seymour was Jackie. She was Solitaire and Live and Let Die. Yeah. Which, which features another Paul McCartney song. I say live and let die. I really... I'm not a big fan of Live and Let Die. I know, because you're weird about Roger Moore. You, you're not willing to accept his greatness. <laughs> uh, they introduced psychic powers into the James Bond franchise. What's wrong with that? But, uh, but she's great. And she I, is. I like her as solitary. No, I, actually, she's one of my favorite Bond girls. She also obviously played Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman in the 90s. She'll be in Somewhere in Time later this year, 1980. And she played Kitty Cat 
in Wedding Crashers, a very memorable scene where she got motorboated. <laughs> um, Omar Sharif was Malcolm Bart. He's Dr. Zhivago in Dr. Zhivago. He plays Ali in Lawrence of Arabia. We had him earlier this year as the Deacon in The Baltimore Bullet, and he will be Agent Cedric in Top Secret later this decade. Robert Morley was Bernie, the publisher. He plays British Gentleman in Great Muppet Caper. Uh, he played i knew it the second he opened his mouth i'm like i know this voice what is it i see him with muppets yeah (laughs) he played king louis the 16th in marie antoinette in 1938 what yeah it's pretty impressive he also played oscar wilde in the 1960 film oscar wilde stuart germain was higgins slash deaf posty this was his last credit and he really didn't seem to work much for as fun as he is in the movie alan Suze was freddie he started out most of his work is from Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. He was also in a Twilight Zone episode called The Masks, directed by Ida Lupino. Yeah, that's a great one. John Stride was Alastair Beckett. He plays a psychiatrist in The Omen, and he plays Hughes in Juggernaut, which is the, the boat bomber movie. Donnelly Rhodes was Montanero the Artist. He played Macon in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and Grandpa Flynn in Tron Legacy. Oh, I don't, I don't really remember. <laughs> uh, I have to assume that that's Jeff Bridges' dad if he shows up anywhere in the movie. Yeah. But who knows? Barbara Lee Hunt was Margaret, the uh, the secretary at the office. Uh, she plays the vice principal and Billy Elliot. She plays Brenda Blaney in Hitchcock's Frenzy. And she is Judy Dench's godmother. Huh. Richard Vernon was Quimby Charles, the actual Quimby Charles. He plays Colonel Smithers in Goldfinger. He plays Dr. Hugo Fossbender in The Pink Panther Strikes Again. And in the original Hitchhiker's Guide, the BBC special, he played Slarty Bartfast. (laughs) (laughs) Susan Kellerman plays the German clerk. She was a waitress earlier this year in Where the Buffalo Roam for Us. No relation to Sally. They spell their names differently. I was just going to look her up to see if she was related. Nope. She also plays Grace in Beetlejuice, uh, one of the people sitting around the table. I think she is either Dick Cavett's date or is goulet is at the table too i don't uh, remember yeah i, I, I mean, grace is one of the people around that table um, no, well, goulet comes later but it's it's dick cavett and a couple of other people i think it's then, dick cavett's date okay at the table she also played the second doctor in death becomes her from the director of our next movie mm-hmm. the voice in the purgatory area is for the character is apparently named carlton which i don't know if that's like a reference to carlton court the building that the people were murdered in but uh, the voice was provided by Mr. Lorenzo Music. A message for new arrivals. This is the last day you can register for the stained glass class. And don't forget you Ultra Sports, Coach Diogenes is still looking for a few good volleyball players. Who most people recognize as the voice of Garfield. Uh, he also shared the voice of Venkman on the real Ghostbusters with Dave Coulier. Both, both of which is why when the voice comes on, I'm like, is this Garfield or is this Bill Murray? Yeah. <laughs> But he also played Carlton the Doorman on Rhoda. So it's like a three-way reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and Rhoda would have been after this or before this? Before. I think it was before. Yeah. And uh, he also wrote for Bob Newhart. Immediately. As soon as I heard his voice, I, I sent you a message. Yep. I was like, is that Lorenzo music yeah. I hear? He's great. His voice is music to my ears. Um, Rhoda was 74. That's what his podcast would be called if he was still here. Music to your ears. There you go. Uh-huh. I'm going to pitch that to his ghost. Derek Cracknell sounds like a DuckTales character, but he's not. 
Uh, he played the driver of Lady Hermione's car. Lady Hermione, of course, a very important character in this film. Derek Cracknell was also an assistant director on a bunch of stuff. For example, A Shot in the Dark, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Diamonds Are Forever, Clockwork Orange, Live and Let Die, Man with a Golden Gun, this movie, Mirror Cracked, <laughs> later this year, Krull, Supergirl, Life what? Force, oh my Aliens, go- oh my God. <laughs> Batman, and King Ralph was his last movie. He went out with a bang. Yeah. Uh, he was he was actually electrocuted in that scene where they take the picture of the whole family dies. Uh, no, I don't know what happened to Cracknell, but uh, he was a cool guy, and he got to work on a lot of awesome movies. So nice work, Derek. Yeah, this movie was okay. I feel like there's a lot of loose ends that don't really work out, and I feel like for a private investigator, he's played as very slow on the take, piecing things together. Well, I guess he's – again, we don't really ever cover – why he is selected out of all the other people that he yeah. could have hired uh, it's if he not has like a it's not even as, or... as well established as in private eyes where they're like oh i saw you on the front page because you're bad at solving murders yeah exactly like I, I needed some kind of context for him to to have specifically sought out this person yeah so but like when you think it's a talking dog movie you assume it's going to be a cheesy family film you do. This and is, this wasn't that. And it was marketed as the first adult Benji movie. And the advertising made a point like, this isn't like a typical Benji movie. Don't bring all your kids. Yeah. Like, he's going to make dick jokes and say shit all the time. I mean, if I was a producer, I'd be like, yeah, this is a terrible idea. We yeah. shouldn't do this. But like, it's not a, it's not like a cheesy family film. Like, yeah. this, you know, it's not, uh, you know, this isn't Milo and Otis or Homeward Bound. Like, yeah. this is an actual Okay, I pump, like pump the brakes here. <laughs> we're, we're not gonna. We were talking about Homeward Bound, and we are not okay, going to talk negatively about Homeward Bound. We're not going to talk negatively about Homeward Bound. We are. <laughs> we're mad that they threw a dog downstairs here, but a cat over a waterfall. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Well, okay. Insert cheesy talking dog movie here. Yeah. It's not. Look who's talking now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Uh, anyone pointed a gun at the child and herbie goes bananas that's what that's what it feels like when it happens in this movie it does feel like you're in a kid's movie that suddenly veered left right and there was definitely you know statues with like you know naked bits and i definitely get the impression and stabbings and i think this was rewritten a bunch because there's so many storylines that are picked up and just dropped completely and like you said the freddy character plays no part yeah in the overall what's happening i mean he might as well have just bumped into her on the sidewalk outside of the hotel and it would have made as much sense as him getting a ride from his friend for a few blocks but like i'm gonna stand by the fact that it wasn't bad it was just it could have been better okay that's fair i i mean there was nothing that like stood out as being specifically bad i just felt like it was very scatterbrained and it's not like this follows this logically, which follows this logically in a straight path. It was just kind of like, let's do this now. Let's mm-hmm. do this now. But I stayed engaged throughout the whole film. Sure. And I didn't want to give up on it like so many films I've already watched this year. And it was, it had a decent story. Yeah. So I'm guessing up or down for you. I'll give it an up. Okay. I'm not going to give it an up. Just personally, it's not, it's not my kind of movie. I, I probably won't watch this again and I probably wouldn't wouldn't recommend it uh, i am also not giving it up which i guess is giving it a down <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is my first sideways <laughs> can i do that could i give it a sideways? you can only give one movie feel in neutral our entire about this. 
forty year podcast. <laughs> sideways. Forty years. And that movie will be sideways. <laughs> yes. I'm giving this a sideways. It's uh, exactly in the middle of my list forever. I, I had seen this movie as a kid. The only thing I really remembered was that she also died. And I, yeah, I was not expecting that at all. Um, that was literally the only thing I remembered from this movie. Um, I thought it was more kid friendly only because I watched it as a kid. But uh, watching it as an adult, I thought eh, it was okay. It was just, I uh, uh, unless you're a Benji completionist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that a thing? And we know they're out there. Uh, I definitely think that uh, Chevy Chase could go and watch this movie. It's not your worst movie, Chevy. I'm not saying that you should pick this over almost anything else that's come out in the past 40 years, but you sh- you should see this. See it. What do you think is his worst movie? Fletch 2. Really? I really don't like that movie. And and I think maybe I judge it unfairly because it's the sequel to Fletch. Mm. And it's like, Fletch, I think, is his best movie. And for me, Fletch 2 was such a disappointment when I finally got around to seeing it. I was like, oh my god, I totally forgot there's a Fletch 2. I have to rent this now. And I brought it home and it's just like, nothing. There's nothing from the first movie there. It's not, none of it's real. You know, the first mm-hmm. movie feels like a thing that actually happened to someone. The second one has cartoon birds in it and shit. I, I don't disagree. Yeah. I oh, think that was yeah. the maddest I've been after a Chevy Chase movie. But I'm trying to think. I mean, he's done a bunch of stuff in the last five years that I obviously Yeah, I was thinking seen. like Cops and Robertsons or Jungle to Jungle. Not Jungle to Jungle. What was the other one? Uh, oh, yeah. You don't like uh, Man of the House. Man of the House. Yeah. I like that movie, actually. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I'm just looking up this IMDb. There's a lot of garbage on here. I'm telling you, a- after 90, it's. I think it's just Vegas Vacation and Dirty Work that I would give thumbs ups to. And Dirty Work isn't really a lead for him. No. I mean, like, I would, you can't, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, Hot Tub Time Machine uh, for him. I forgot he was even in that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think his best stuff of the, it was, it was on Community. Yeah. This isn't but, even his only talking dog movie. What else? He's in an animated movie called Dougal. Oh. Doggle? Dougal? I'm guessing. But I think I'm actually thinking of the one where Sean Connery does the voice of a skateboarding dog that came out like two years ago and it was his last movie. Oh God. Cause he did like, obviously I think league of extraordinary gentlemen was his last live action movie. Right. But then this was, he did a weird animated movie. Oh my God. He, this is by far not his only talking dog movie. There's one called the karate dog. It's a TV movie that he did a voice in. That sounds right. You got to take what you can get when you're Chevy chase now. Where's this going on your list, Richard? Uh, for me, I am putting this just below the nude bomb. Okay. And just above hero at large. All right. Jessica. That's actually a lot higher than I thought you were going to. For a down. That's well, hero high at large isn't as high on his list as it is oh. on yours. Though. Yeah. And well, the, but the hero at large and the nude bomb are right next to each other on my list, which is much <laughs> higher than you thought. <laughs> yeah. Where, I mean, like, what do you have a concept of what number that is? Uh, it would be 39. Okay. Roughly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's actually a little bit lower than yours because I'm putting it um, putting it just above windows okay. uh, and below folks. It barely folks. clears the windows threshold. It does. It just barely. Um, but below folks, so mine, you know, it's probably around the 50 mark, some, somewhere in there. For me, this is going just under serial and just above private eyes, actually. That's pretty low. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> wow <laughs> well i know well i think i think you guys liked serial more than i did because i 
have a visceral hatred for that movie, second only to Caligula. <laughs> yes, for for whatever reason. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash Vintage Video Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing used cars which IMDb describes like so. When the owner of a struggling used car lot is killed, it's up to the lot's hotshot salesman to save the property from falling into the hands of the owner's ruthless brother and used car rival. We leave you now with the trailer for Used Cars. Coming this summer from Columbia Pictures, a movie that asks the question, would you buy a used car from this man? Here at New Deal Used Cars, we are uh, stripping away inflation. We're taking off those high prices. Or this one. We have a group of immoral charlatans masquerading as businessmen. They will stoop to the lowest. Hold on, Roy. Would you buy a used car from this man? Sign your name. Ray. Uh, or from this man. I want you to look inside. No, I don't want to look inside. Oh, just get in the car. Get in. Well, these people did. Used cars about a group of dedicated businessmen who'll do anything to sell a car. We can't do a commercial wearing these. We'll come off looking like a couple of. $695, you got it. Margaret, let's take a look under the hood, shall we? <laughs> what? <laughs> 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 hey, look, Baird. Now wait just a minute, what the hell is this? Is this a 1977 450 SL for $24,000? That's too high. Used cars. It's a dirty business.